Welcome to the Dang Apostrophe. I'm Danny O'Neill. We're at episode three, and we have a Super Bowl matchup set up. It is the Tightwad versus the Robber Baron. I don't know if anybody else is going to frame it that way, but that's the first thing that I think of. Well, after the fact that it feels like the 80s again with the Bengals in a Super Bowl. But Cincinnati, which has for, I really feel like 30 years, been on the short list of worst sports franchises in America. They, they they had a little window of time where they were a relevant NFL team, and it was right about the time Carson Palmer played his first full season, and it ran through the end of Marvin Lewis's coaching tenure, kind of at the point where Palmer wanted out, and then they had Andy Dalton, they hung around. They made the playoffs, they never won a playoff game. They they were They were a competent, able NFL franchise, which, compared to the previous 20 years, was this huge improvement. The Bengals have been this outlier. They're they're a team where in a salary cap free agency era, they've been on the cheap end of things. They're one of the least valued franchises by Forbes when that comes out, but that's probably a reflection of, of the city, which by the way, Cincinnati, which I went to for the first time, I believe it was 2015, completely great city. Seriously. Those AFC North cities kind of get this rap as these old factory towns, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Cleveland. Like They're beautiful cities. The, the Over the Rhine District in Cincinnati is fantastic. We, we were there in September, so it hadn't gotten cold yet. The, the topography, both of Cincinnati and, and Pittsburgh, they, they have the funiculars, which are the, the, they're essentially like cable cars to go up these steep hills are, I think they call them inclines. They're funiculars in, in Hong Kong and in Europe when I've been on them. They're absolutely gorgeous. Like They're really underrated cities. But the Bengals, I don't even... It was this cheapness combined with the fact that they did everything different. The Bengals don't trade up in, in the draft order. And, and I say that, and it's not really an exaggeration to just state it bluntly. The first 50 years... Of, of the franchise's history up until I think 2017 was I, was I saw the list. They had traded up four times. That's not traded up in the first round. That's traded up, period. They haven't traded up in the first round since 1995. I think they had the fourth overall pick that year, and they traded that in their second round pick to move up so they could take Kiana Carter, which did not, d- did not work out well. So they could take Kajana Carter, and, and that... That did not work out real well, although that probably had something to do with the the knee injuries that Carter suffered. But for the most part, the Bengals have been, they're content to make their picks. They'll make their one pick each round. Might move back a little bit if they can get some extra picks. But for the most part, they stand pat. Up until two years ago, they were one of the least active teams in free agency. They'd retain some of their own guys. But when they signed Trey Hendrickson, who's their great defensive end, to a four-year, $60 million deal in 2021. It was kind of like, all right, the Bengals are finally spending money. This is something they have not done before. And now they're in the Super Bowl. And that's largely because of Joe Burrow, who who looks great. And he looked great last year. And, and I, w- I will raise my hand and say that I was, when he came out of the draft, I thought he gave off all kinds of fumes as a one-year wonder. And I'm, I am deeply skeptical, especially when a quarterback has one year of starting, plays incredibly well, or all of a sudden captures everyone's fancy, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's going to be great. I think back to Jake Locker, 
when Jake Locker was a junior and he had an absolutely great season and people thought he was going to come out and he was going to be one of the top overall picks, might have been the top. And what happened? He went back and we saw that 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 junior season that he had, Steve Sarkeesian's first year, was really, that was as good as it got. That was a peak for him. And Joe Burrow, being someone who was at Ohio State, couldn't get on the field, and Dwayne Haskins is in front of him. Look, Haskins a first-round pick. There's no shame in that. But you end up you end up transferring somewhere else to play, and you have one awesome year, awesome, incredible year. I'm like, are you buying at the high point? He gave off a lot of fumes as a one-year wonder. And very early on, it was evident that he is a great quarterback. And then he tore his knee, and he came back, and he's still a great quarterback, and he's played incredibly well. And in some ways... He has been able to, not single-handedly, but along with a really good defense, kind of foist the Bengals back to this pinnacle in spite of the fact that they are one of the cheaper organizations in in the entire league. And I'm glad for Bengals fans. I'm glad because you never want someone to sort of be a hostage to a terrible owner. Like, that franchise has great fans. And for 30 years, they have not watched a team that was capable of winning a single playoff game. And while it wasn't all bad football, it was mostly bad football. And you got this guy at the helm of it who just seems like he doesn't really care. There are other teams whose fans feel similar. So seeing them get a chance to like really celebrate that felt the same way watching Buffalo become prominent again. Like It's cool to watch Buffalo fans get to enjoy that when that franchise has been an absolute laughingstock. And I'm going to be rooting for the Bengals when they take on the Rams, not just because of the the proximity, the the divisional fact, but the Rams the Rams are kind of new money. Not only are they new after relocating from St. Louis, which is a whole different story about why the Rams are kind of tough to root for, but their best players, for the most part, are guys that they picked up other places. And that's not into Aaron Donald was was drafted by them. Cooper Cup was drafted and developed by them. And and somebody a really good fan is the Seattle Rams is his Twitter account pointed out that actually the Rams have a really high percentage, one of the highest percentages of of their own draft picks being starters. But Matthew Stafford acquired from the Detroit Lions, Jalen Ramsey picked up in a trade from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Robert Woods was a free agent acquisition. Odell Beckham Jr., Vaughn Miller, both guys they picked up this year. There's a certain whiff of store-bought to them. And I think, in general, sports fans appreciate or respect more kind of that idea of an organic team, whether that's realistic or reasonable or whatever. Like, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a preference. All things being equal, I like the team that was put together through their own resources, developed by them, whether it was picking up guys that were cast offs elsewhere and undervalued or drafted and developed like that that idea of like the homegrown is something that'll always appeal to me it's not the ultimate decider but it's part of it the rams for me there's a tough part of rooting for them because of the way that stan Kroenke pulled that team out of st louis and and i know you can look back and say well the rams were originally in southern california the Ram, they played in Anaheim then. Like they were over in Orange County. I, I've been, I've spent most of my life going to Los Angeles. My dad grew up there. I know a lot of people in Los Angeles. I spent my summers there. I know one Rams fan. 
I know one Rams fan after having gone to down to LA each and every summer of my childhood. It's my uncle Randy who worked at the post office. My uncle Randy was a Rams fan and that went back to his childhood. He's the only one I've known that would be like, I am a diehard Rams fan. So, so shout out to my uncle Randy who his, his Rams are in the Super Bowl for the second time with a second different quarterback under Sean McVay. But just in general, the way watching a team get yanked out of a city stinks. It, 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 it does. And if I was a St. Louis fan, I'd be mad. It's kind of the same way that I feel about if you're a Browns fan, like how furious you would feel about the Ravens, right? Like the Art Modell has them for years in that city, and then he just decides, like, you're not giving me what I want, so I'm going over there. He goes over there, and then they're awesome there. The Rams for 10 years were kind of this big afterthought. They were they were perpetually mediocre. The Jeff Fisher between seven and nine and nine and seven Rams every year just decidedly mediocre. And in fact, I remember one of my favorite quotes. It was after they switched, the Seahawks switched from Jim Mora to Pete Carroll, and it was the day of Pete Carroll's introductory press conference. And Todd Lewicki, who is someone who has as great a feel as anybody I've met for how to build a franchise that resonates with fans. Like, he's got a great touch with it. His understanding of that and building a fan-centric operation is unparalleled. And he was the president, and he was out there to kind of explain explain why such a dramatic shift had been made, why Jim Mora had given a season-ending press conference, and then after that been fired, which is decidedly not the normal procedure. And Todd... Todd Todd said, to his credit, I think, was just bluntly honest when he said, look, we've won nine games over the previous two seasons, and with all due respect, four of them have been against the St. Louis Rams. It was, as far as quotes go, it was, it's the epitome of why when anybody says, with all due respect, you know that there's a tremendous amount of disrespect on the way. Like it's it absolutely will stick out with me and be hilarious. But the Rams were that kind of that kind of laughing stock. And while I think that the Bengals are the obvious sort of sentimental favorite, like all things being equal, I think most people are gonna pull for the Bengals. There is part of me, if you were given a choice as a fan, if you were given a choice as a fan between Mike Brown, who for 30 years was content to play checkers while the rest of the league was playing chess, didn't do any of the fancy newfangled trading up, didn't didn't partake of free agency, was generally fairly cheap, not a terrible personnel evaluator. Like, they've drafted good guys. Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzana, they've also been willing to employ a lot of guys with criminal records that made them toxic to other teams, but that's an entirely different story. He's not been terrible, but he has not he has not run his team like a modern NFL franchise. And the results over the past 30 years is they haven't won a playoff game. They haven't threatened to move. They haven't done any of those things. But you you you've got your team, but you're kind of beholden to this owner who seems who seems content to be irrelevant. Would you rather have that, or would you rather have the robber baron? Would you rather have the robber baron like Stan Kroenke, who has got a very firm idea about what he wants? Got a very firm idea. He's not going to settle for perpetually mediocre. He does not want that. 
But part of that desire to upgrade, part of that desire to upgrade might be that he he leaves you high and dry. Would you, would you rather be with the ambitious person that might leave you for someone better or the person whose, whose aptitude you have some serious questions about, but he's never going to leave? Which, which would you rather have to be for your owner? It's a tough question. I, I think I'd rather have the ambitious guy, but that's kind of hard to say. That's, that's, that's kind of hard to say, and I think we've seen it play out because Howard Schultz was the ambitious owner, right? Like Howard was. Howard was the guy that came in with all this big talk when he bought the Sonics about a civic trust and he's writing a column in the Seattle Times about all of these things. And man, he's he's saying things about Vin Baker and how he doesn't appreciate his effort. And like he wanted that team to be great. Like there's no doubt about that. And when it wasn't, he became a baby. Big giant baby. First with regard to pouting while sitting courtside. And then when it came to him not getting the arena, he thought that he should, his team should have because, well, the Mariners got a new stadium and, well, the, the Seahawks got a new stadium, so it's our turn. It's our turn to get that. And when he didn't get it, he was like, I, do, do, do I have to threaten to move? Because I'm not going to threaten to move. No, I'll, I'll sell it to somebody who'll threaten. No, he's a big, giant baby, but that was the ambitious owner. So even as saying it, maybe you, want, maybe you want the loyal guy. Maybe you want the loyal guy. Like he's, he, he might be an idiot, but at least he's your idiot. You don't have to worry about him. And then may, at some point, at some point, he's going to either step in a lucky pile of cow dung and draft Joe Burrow and you'll get to the Super Bowl and that'll make it feel so much better. Or you'll get the guy who might, by the time he gets you back to that perch, have left for somewhere else because he's stick he's sick of mucking around with you mediocre, you mediocre folks. Speaking of franchise relocation, there was one thing that caught my attention last week, which was that Major League Baseball denied the appeal of the Tampa Bay Rays to play half of their home games uh in Montreal. This is a meta comment like the the very nature of that story is such a commentary on the ridiculous circular nature of franchise relocation how it is all a giant game of screw your neighbor and eventually things will work their way around because to understand how funny this is tampa bay wants to play half their home games in a city that used to have a franchise, but had that franchise pulled out so it could play half its home games in Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. It then became the Washington, D.C. franchise that is known as the Nationals. And now, Tampa, which, by the way, that was the location used as the giant lever to pry concessions out of other cities. I remember the Giants were going to go there the St. Petersburg Giants, the Mariners. That was their most likely destination in 1995 up until they had that playoff run. And at that at that time when they they were having trouble getting a stadium built, that, that was where they were going to go, Tampa. That was the great boogeyman that everybody mentioned. And now it turns out that market isn't capable of supporting a single team. It's got the expansion Rays, who've been good, by the way, been really good. They might be another team that you could just accuse of being incredibly cheap. Like they're they're good but cheap. 
that might be the worst combination. To be bad and cheap, at least you're like, our owner's just cheap. But if you're a good team and cheap, you're like, oh man, we've got people smart enough to win, but our owners are just tightwads. Our owners are just tightwads. And now they want to export half their games to Montreal, which used to, basically, eventually, Oklahoma City might end up just coming back to Seattle. Maybe maybe that's what'll happen in the NBA. Time is a flat circle. It all works its way around. And I was amused that the other owners, though, were like, no, you're not doing that. Because that is generally, generally other owners don't get in the way of their fellow fellow owners, harebrained, manipulative, extortionist moves to make more money. But I guess this was so far beyond the pale that all the other owners are like, yeah, we get it. We don't we don't really want to get in the way of your your path to the trough because that's generally the way we work here. We don't we don't interrupt each person's path to what they feel will further enrich them. But yeah, that's too much. That's too much, Tampa. That's too much. You're not doing that. It is the dang apostrophe. I'm very excited right now because we have our first session with our new correspondent for men's basketball at the University of Washington. Yeah, they matter. They've won five of their last six, and this was a guy who saw it coming. Boogerbeard won. He joins us next. Have you ever found yourself wondering what it would be like to have an apostrophe in your last name? Hi, I'm Danny O'Neill, and I've lived with that reality over the course of my life. It has created endless complications when it comes to having someone look up my name, whether it's for a voting record or a rental car. But it is a signature element. The dang apostrophe has been hanging around my life for, well, 47 years now. And if you'd like the dang apostrophe to hang around your life, well, you can do that. It's a newsletter and a new podcast brought to you by me, Danny O'Neill. You can sign up at Substack and pretty soon wherever you get your podcasts. The Dang Apostrophe with Danny O'Neill. I'm very excited to welcome our first guest to the Dang Apostrophe. And really, he's not a guest because he is going to serve as our Husky Hoops correspondent. His name is Boogerbeard. You can find him on Twitter at Boogerbeard1. Or you can look for Izzy Adesanya handing him a championship belt, which is what happened at a recent UFC event. Boog's a hilarious dude, someone who lives locally. On January 8th, he sent me a tweet that I think is is very important to note because he wanted it placed on record that UW was good and going to go to the tournament, that they had figured something out. At which point I wondered about Boog's sanity, but he joins us now. It's an interview we recorded. You'll hear my questions are a little bit muffled. That's some technical difficulties that will be ironed out in the future, but without further ado, I want to introduce Boogerbeard1 so he can explain what exactly he saw on January 8th when the Huskies were 6-6 six and six and just a few weeks removed from losing to Utah Valley State or whatever the hell that was. Boog, what exactly compelled you to send me that tweet? Well, it, it was... Uh... Mostly because they, they kept on having their season kind of disrupted. And then I would watch them, and when they would get out of doing what Mike Hopkins wanted them to do, they would play really, really well. Um, and they started running, and, and Hopkins, I think, recognized that, and now they run a little bit more. Um, and they just looked like they played everybody tougher than their record suggested. And, and I figured, you know, it's a team that didn't play much together last year because they had so much change. So a slow start would be expected. But they just played everyone tough after the 
beginning where it was kind of embarrassing to watch. <laughs> it was brutal early on. I, I, was, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, we're going to get this two years in a row where it looks like they just picked a, a group of random guys to put it together. Now, when I got, I got your, your tweet on January 8th and I responded, you either need to start or stop taking drugs because what you said <laughs> is nuts. And Boogie, you told me, to your credit, you said you haven't been watching then. The defense is as good as anyone. The problem has been they don't run, don't pass, and can't run a set offense. They started running in Arizona. They started moving the ball in Utah. You watched. They forced so many turnovers. Now they score off of them. Now since that point, they've won five of seven games. They're on a oh, roll. Oh, yeah. And they're going to keep winning, too. Um, I think they're going to go into uh, the swing with Arizona, uh, USC, and UCLA. I think they're going to win their next three games and set it up to where if they can get even one of those wins, um, you can start talking about them on the bubble. But they're not going to need that because they're winning the conference tournament. I, I, I would I would say you're nuts, but I said that on January 8th, and you're not so nuts. So I feel I feel that you may be a soothsayer here, be, or, or is this just speaking things into existence? Did you did you have a gut feeling, or was it was it like, hey, no, I I think I see something here that people are missing. Well, both, both. I mean, the the obvious thing was the turnovers defensively. I mean, teams don't force that many turnovers in college, and and it's just nonstop. You look at the their totals. I mean, they'll have games where they're forcing fifteen turnovers, and that's normal for them. Uh, and if you can get that many turnovers and then you start to run instead of trying to get into your set offense every time, you can score points by the handful. And that's that's like every game that they've uh, kind of exceeded expectations has been based on forcing turnovers. And, and some of those defenders, I mean, it's not just one guy like Matisse Thibel holding down the top. I mean, everyone up top is playing aggressive defense and getting into the passing lanes. And, I, I mean, I haven't seen a team that forces this many turnovers. You'll have one or two guys who can do it, and everybody can do it on this team. It's really impressive. They play Utah on Saturday. It was an it was an ugly game. That's a Utah team. I think they'd lost nine in a row now, ten in a row. But you watched Washington didn't, didn't play particularly well. But when they needed they needed points late, and they they put on the press. They extended the press full court. They get two overtimes. Uh, Terrell Brown scores 30 points in the game. And Brown's kind of got the old man at the Y game. Like, he'll yeah. some pump fakes in there, lots of mid-range. He's crafty. He's a leading scorer in the Pac-12. Yeah, and, and he, to me, he's the best player in the Pac-12. Apparently, my dog's found something to bark at. <laughs> um, What's your dog's name, Bud? Oh, uh, he's Rocco. He's a Belgian Malinois mix, and, and uh, he's almost 10, but he acts like he's about 10 months still. Well, that's that's great. You got to stay young at heart. That's fantastic. You know, uh, in in that game yesterday when Utah in the second half, I I think they got it to forty forty, or maybe they even took the lead forty one forty, and then Brown scored eight straight points and took a charge off the seven footer Carlson. I mean, that's that's a leader right there. <laughs> when your team needs you, and, and Utah kept scoring. I think it ended up being like forty nine forty eight after he did that, but. Nonetheless, I mean, when your best player is taking a charge after putting up eight straight points, I mean, that that's a really good thing for a team to have. Well, it is really fun to watch. Uh, I I can't remember being this surprised at a at a Husky team. I've watched a lot of bad Husky basketball in the now almost 30 years uh, that, that I've been watching it, and I thought this was going to be another and maybe one of the worst seasons. Instead, it's looking, it's looking really fun. And you're, you're willing to come on every week and talk with me about this? Oh, of course, man. Of course, and it's going to get better and better when they're in the tourney. And I, th- I think they'll probably get knocked out in the Sweet 16. I'm not going to say anything crazy. 
But uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I may be, I may, I may face a tough decision because uh, as it stands right now, I'm planning to go to San Diego for rounds one and two. Um, but I, I've always, when UW makes the tournament, I kind of feel the the pull that I have to go. And if if they make the tournament and aren't going to San Diego, I, I, I don't know. I. I might have it, to change plans. It seems it seems weird to say I wouldn't go to San Diego because San Diego is so much fun. But well, maybe I'll get sent to both worlds, and they'll get sent to San Diego. Well, if you don't go to wherever the Huskies are playing, it's going to lend some credence to the rumor that you played quarterback at the University of Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy Ross thought that. Like she was like, well, most of us, nobody here on the staff played played college football except like Brock and Danny. Like everybody's like. <laughs> Danny, like you've seen him, you think he played? You, you think he played college football? It's, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, that guy's much nicer. He actually owns a business too. It's called O'Neill Storage. It's like located down near my in-laws in Orange County. It's very funny. You should be a partner. I should either that or just try some some identity swap sort of stuff. It's like yeah, so, I am that Danny O'Neill. Did Stacy not? I'm looking forward to continuing to do this. You can follow him at Boogerbeard One on Twitter. And thanks again, Book. Oh, of course, thanks, Danny. That's going to wrap up episode three of the Dang Apostrophe. I'm grateful for you listening. Feel free to respond. Send me an email, tweet at me if it needs to be posted somewhere that it's not. I'm still kind of learning this as I go. We will be having Boogerbeard uh, back, hopefully on a weekly basis, as Husky basketball season continues. And we'll have more a little bit later this week, looking ahead to the Super Bowl. And well, maybe we got to react to Tom Brady's retirement, because apparently now he actually is retiring. I saw that that was formally announced, because yeah, we all needed to know the scoop of that one on Saturday. It is the dang apostrophe. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.